Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You're listening to The Eurotrip, your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Hello everybody, it is Rob with you for another edition of Rewind Revisited. I am of course usually with you on a Wednesday for our regular episodes of the Eurotrip podcast, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast, with my co-host and friend Mr James Rowe. But it is just me today and on Rewind Revisited we of course give you a chance to listen back to what we got up to during series one of our Rewind series. So what you're going to hear today is an edition of Rewind that was broadcast in late 2022. So what is Rewind? Well, I'm sure you know by now, but if you don't, it is where we deep dive into a past edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. We hear from the people that were there. We go behind the scenes. We tell you all the very, very best stories. And that is what we're going to do today with our Rewind Revisited. And of course, we will be returning for part two of series two of Rewind on next week's episode of the Eurotrip on Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. I've been catching up with some incredible people for that episode, so make sure you're with us next Wednesday. And also, when you're with us next Wednesday, fingers crossed, a lot of you might have Eurovision tickets, which is crazy, isn't it? Because we know that Eurovision tickets are going on sale next week, which seems very early, but good luck, everybody. May the odds be forever in your favour, I think they say in the Hunger Games. You know what I mean. It is a bit like that, isn't it? I think we all remember that Ticketmaster countdown from last year. Well, I'm sure that'll be making a welcome return. I say welcome, not like welcome at all, really. 
Anyway, shall we get on to today's Rewind Revisited? Well, you might remember our first two episodes of Series 2 of Rewind a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Eurovision 2002 and 2003. Well, in Series 1 of Rewind, we looked at Eurovision 2004. So consider this another sequel to what you heard at the start of this series of Rewind. Because we are going to head to Istanbul. We are going to find out all about the UK and their entry, James Fox. We're going to hear about the eventual winner, of course, as well, which was historic in Eurovision terms. And, of course, we will hear about the debut nations who entered Eurovision for the first time back in 2004. Hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. If you do, let us know. We're on socials, at Eurotrip Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram. We're on TikTok as well. And feel free to send us an email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com. But for now, it's time for this week's Rewind Revisited. Yeah, it's week three of six of Rewind. We have reached the halfway mark of this mini-series we are bringing you, where we rewind the clock and look at an iconic Eurovision Song Contest. Maybe it's one you've seen before, maybe it's one you've you've never even watched, but we're going to find out some stories, chat to some people who were there, listen to some of the songs, and just take you under the skin of the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, I didn't enjoy under the skin of the... Oh, <laughs> that wasn't enjoyable. Yet yeah, we have specially hand-picked the editions of the contest that we are covering in, as James put it, this little mini-series here on Rewind. So, so far, we kicked off with the last time the UK hosted a contest in 1998. We then went all the way back to the last time the winners didn't host. So that was the contest in 1980. We did that last week. And now, of course, there is a very special reason which we will come to for why we are rewinding the clock to 2004. Yeah, I've already given that away in the intro, haven't I? Why we're doing that, but but we'll we'll rule with it and we'll 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 not say any more. So uh, before we get into it, let's have a look at what the world looked like ahead of the contest. We're going to be focusing on, of course, 2004. Uh, Tony Blair was celebrating seven years in Number Ten Downing Street as British Prime Minister. Uh, Eamon. Uh, with I Don't Want You Back was at number one in the UK charts. <laughs> you can hear Rob laughing. Honestly, that's a song I have no recollection of whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I I, uh, I went back and had a listen. And honestly, never heard of it in my life. No, I, I'd love to know if you have. If you're listening going, ah, one of my favourite songs ever, please let me know. Um, and also, a fortnight before the contest actually took place, the EU had grown in size, with 10 new countries joining the Union. And today marks a new beginning for Europeans. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the many millions of people across Europe for whom this day, the 1st of May 2004, is a day of hope and opportunity. To the people of Europe who are joining us today in the European Union, I extend the hand of friendship it was your democratic choice and your own efforts that made this day happen. Now, in the world of Eurovision, much like the EU, the contest was evolving in 2004. The branding, which we know and love, was launched. Digame had come on board to manage the voting. There were four new countries making their debut. And as presenter Meltem Chumble explains, the show had become that little bit bigger. 2004 is a groundbreaking year in the history of the Eurovision. We're broadcasting this outstanding music festival over two evenings for the first time with the semi-final tonight 
And the final this Saturday. That's right. As a record 36 countries had entered the competition in 2004, the EBU needed a way of whittling them all down for the grand final. So the first official Eurovision semi-final took place on the Wednesday night in Istanbul. Now, the so-called Big Four, the hosts Turkey and the nine other top performing countries from the previous year all got a direct ticket to the grand final, which left 22 countries, big old semi-final, vying for just 10 other spots in that live show on the Saturday night. I'd love to put you on the spot for this, but I'm going to read them out anyway on your behalf, Rob. Uh, The countries that qualified to the final were Ukraine, Greece, Cyprus, the Netherlands, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Malta, Croatia, Macedonia, as well as Serbia and Montenegro and Albania, who were both making their Eurovision debut. Now, a year ago here on the Eurotrip, I was lucky enough to chat to the former BBC Eurovision commentator Paddy O'Connell as part of the contest and me. And here he is recalling some of his favourite moments from that contest in 2004. I was propelled with the Eurovision caravan to Istanbul in 2004. Lorraine Kelly was booked to be the main star attraction and it was my job to be a sort of geek in a box and just make a few kind of points that might be of interest. Lorraine's plane was delayed so I presented the first semi-final all on my own. They were fabulous hosts. I had not been to Turkey before And the Turkish people welcomed us with open arms on the streets, in the hotels. And also Eurovision was supplied as a local host who would therefore either be or speak Turkish. In our case, some fabulous, young, bright musical students, Turk Istanbul residents. They just looked after us as part of volunteering for Eurovision. So it was fabulous fun. The Euroclub was in the bottom of my hotel. And I just spent my entire time dancing to Eurovision songs, either with Lorraine Kelly or the Irish act from that year, or the impossibly beautiful Yonsi from Iceland, and the amazing Andy Canole, the commentator from Austria, who became my lifelong friend, alongside Alexander Radich, head of delegation for Slovenia. And my eyes were opened to this international festival, which had only been, ever been portrayed as one night of television. So I learned so much and I was, my eyes were opened and I arrived in my hotel room to the sound of explosive sex. And I spent the entire week we were there desperate to know which artist it was who had this marathon sex session next to my room on the day I arrived. And I finally found out who it was and it was a honeymooning couple from Hull. <laughs> Honestly, what an iconic story from Paddy O'Connell. Just that end. You have no idea where that's going to end, do you, when you start to talk about the Euro Club and his hotel, and he talks about that. Well, I don't want to repeat the phrase that he said, but yeah. It's all right, James, you're an adult. You can say <laughs> rampant sex on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just I just don't, didn't want to repeat it. You just didn't expect that's where the story would go, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is very true, but love that story from Paddy. There's so much stuff in there as well. Also, like Lorraine Kelly's delayed plane, so much in there. There's always a great story when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. Anyway, I'm going to move on from Paddy O'Connell, just so you can get that image out of your head. Uh, um, is it because know... you don't want me to say rampant sex again? Oh, well, please don't. <laughs> Let me move on. <laughs> um, Eurovision takes a lot of planning, as we know. Uh, and sex. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's going to haunt my nightmares. Um, That's going to haunt my nightmares. Yeah. Regret doing that completely. Sorry, everybody. It's, it's staying in. I'm editing it. It's staying in. Um, much. What am I talking about? The planning, aren't I? The um, Eurovision that- 2004. Rewind. Yes. Loads of the Eurovision planning. Uh, comes in the form of rehearsals. That's where we are. Um, rehearsals for who is it? Artists, presenters, stagehands for everybody. But it seems that in two thousand and four, not everybody really got that memo. Now here comes, and you won't expect to hear from this person on this edition of Rewind, but you are. Uh, this is Seat Sabaka, uh, executive producer of the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one Eurovision Song Contests. Uh, he has spoken to us at length for a future episode. You can probably guess what year he was talking about in that initial chat. But he was also at the contest in 2004. He was on site in Istanbul after setting up the fan website ESC Today. And here is one particular moment that he still remembers today. There was one delegation, I think it was made up of of, of people who had never been to the song contest. And... Um, and I recall we were there at the rehearsals. At the time, the first rehearsals were open to press. And, and it was their time. And they didn't show up. Um, uh, no one to be found. And I saw Svante Stokselius, the executive supervisor at the time. He was sort of getting, you know, more, more grumpy. And um, uh, later on, he told me that he he actually made a call to the head of delegation. He said, where where are you? You know, you're... you're supposed to start your rehearsal and they said oh no mr stoxelius don't worry uh, we already rehearsed at home so we don't need to rehearse anymore so that in their perception they thought oh you know this rehearsal is there for us and we don't need the rehearsal time we, we don't want to we don't want to waste your time and they didn't realize the rehearsal was not just for them but also for you know the the, the entire production crew I love the sheer confidence of whoever this is. And I am a little bit resentful that uh, Sietza didn't tell us which country it was, which does mean that we can just keep guessing. Uh, I feel like you pressed stop on the recording and he whispered it to you. Do you actually know? He didn't. He didn't. I wish he did, but he didn't. Oh, we'll have to find that out at some point. Uh, now, on to the grand final. The random draw at the time meant Spain performed first, but only after the previous years when a Sirtab had performed. Now, for me, personally, these few minutes are my first ever experience of Eurovision. I've told this story before. My parents were having a dinner party. They had some friends over. One of the friends was like, oh, Eurovision's on tonight. Can we watch it? My parents, not huge fans of the contest, safe to say but they regretfully put it on the telly and I've been hooked ever since. And this was the first thing I saw was the opening of Eurovision 2004. And honestly, this excitement, the bars, it just gets me every time. Here is just some of what was shown on BBC One at the start of the programme. This is the place, the Abdi Pekchi Hall, here in downtown Istanbul. And a nice quiet crowd have come in. There's a fantastic, riotous atmosphere here. 7,000 packed into this hall, flags of all nations flying. How this Eurovision Song Contest is grown. James Fox will be doing us proud with Hold On To Our Love, or My Name's Not Suleiman The Magnificent. And no, it's not Miss Saigon. And as a measure of how important the Turks are taking this contest, the Prime Minister, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, is here and will be presenting the Grand Concours at the end of this thrilling contest. 
it's all a bit too much. All this panoply and excitement by way of introducing last year's Eurovision winner for Turkey, Serta Berener, with the nosegay of Turkish delights. She's almost dressed by Sher. Let the night of the spangled posing pouch begin. Yeah, that sounds so, so good, doesn't it? There's always that moment, isn't there, where you hear the start of a contest and it just sort of gives you that buzz, those butterflies that you kind of know it's all starting, doesn't it? And it really felt like, and obviously I didn't realise this at the time with it being the first one that I'd ever seen, but now looking back, and we've already mentioned it, you know, 2004 really felt like a real shift for Eurovision, maybe in the same way that sort of 2021 and 2022 have been, but it really felt like things were getting bigger and more exciting and more countries were joining. And and as an 11-year-old with a kind of love of all things sort of politicsy and geography that makes me sound like the world's dullest 11 year old <laughs> but honestly i just remember i could not get enough now onto the songs then as you heard terry wogan say james fox was representing the uk hoping to improve on their uh nil showing in riga the previous year we'll get to him in a minute but first at song five a very memorable debut for serbia and montenegro and their entry sung by jelko joksemovic <laughs> Now, Jelko is easily one of the biggest stars in the Balkans, and he, of course, would go on to host the contest when it was held in Belgrade four years later. And he'd then come back again four years after that when he'd represent Serbia in Baku in 2012. He's like a leap year, isn't he, Jelko? <laughs> He's coming around every four years at that rate. We're, we're, we're overdue another uh, Jelko, aren't we? <laughs> it's like a, like a solar eclipse, maybe. Um, Serbian broadcaster RTS and Montenegrin broadcaster RTCG each conducted separate selections in 2004 in order to select the 24 entries to proceed to their national final. Uh, also in that national final was Yugoslavia's last ever Eurovision act, Extra Nina, who represented the country in Malmo in Sweden in 1992. Now, we will come on to song 10 later on. I think you probably know why. James has already spoiled it. But a quick word for song 16. Now, performing for Greece that night was Sakis Ruvas. Now, let's have a quick blast of his entry that night. Shake it, which it's fair to say went down pretty well in the arena. God, it really did go down well in the arena. That crowd, blimey. Big deal, isn't he, old Sackis? Big deal. Just a bit, just a bit. Uh, Should we move forward, or fast forward, uh, to song number 20? Because in a favourable slot was Fame Academy star James Fox and his song, Hold On To Our Love. In a moment, we'll hear what he told us about his memories from the time in Istanbul. But first, here's his entry. Now that I found that someone I believe in And I feel so complete by your side It's the 
I always say it's the best week of my life, man. I would do it again and have sort of been uh, tentatively knocking the, uh, the door with various song selections in, in, you know, in years after that. I know, I think the occasion can, uh, can be a bit much for some people. It's, you know, so it's a big TV audience. I kind of understand now what I maybe could have done better or could, you know, it's just one of those things. I loved it so much, the whole experience and represent the country. I said, like, as you asked before, it was very proud. Because I'd done sort of these big, nothing to that scale, but these big sort of TV shows prior to that, I was sort of match fit, as it were. So I was very much able to take it all in as much as you can take that idea of that many people watching you at the same time in. I just really enjoyed it. I was very present and even during the, the actual song, I could look around and saw the Welsh flags and the Union Jack flag. And I was very much, okay, I remember this because this is a, this is a, a big moment because maybe in the past I was like a rabbit in the headlights on various TV shows at the start. But um, yeah, I absolutely loved it and took it all in from uh, the minute you get off the plane to the hundreds of press conferences and parties that you're invited to. You know, I was very, very present. It's a proper kind of get your lighter in the air, wave it from side to side. I say as a man currently going from side to side, as maybe you can maybe you can hear that. Uh, and also a man that doesn't own a lighter, so I never would. But <laughs> it's that sort of song, isn't it? James Fox there for the United Kingdom. And when we get to the voting, of course, the UK, they don't feature too heavily in the scoring. But so nice to hear James Fox's memories. And I think it's safe to say, isn't it, James, that he... James Rowe, not Fox, James on the <laughs> podcast, you know what I mean? Uh, safe to say that he still kind of looks back fondly on his Eurovision experience, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I remember having that pleasure of, of sitting down with him and chatting to him and he was so open. You know, we know a lot of UK Eurovision acts kind of shun it and put it to one side, but he, he clearly loved his time there and really looks back with positive memories, which is always great to hear. It it really, really is. And like I said, that is despite the fact that the UK didn't feature too heavily in the scoring. Uh, he did, though, receive scores from 10 of the countries voting, which, when you put it like that, doesn't sound too bad. Uh, he finished in 16th place, but an improvement, of course, on the previous year. And finally, the songs we're going to focus on and listen to and chat about, uh, a real fan favourite from the night. Before we hear it, here is BBC's commentator, Paddy O'Connell again. Lisa Angers singing for Cyprus. She was a schoolgirl from Kent, and I cried on television. This is a contest that should be for young people, by young people, with some moments where old people come on and fall over their pants or something like that, I don't know, I haven't quite decided, or host it very well or commentate on it very well. She was 16 and she just sung this beautiful song and I was commentating and my voice cracked off the back. Then that, that for me was a, was a standout moment. There she was, the Kent schoolgirl who represented Cyprus and, as we will hear shortly, Gave them a brilliant result at the contest in 2004. Now, on to the voting. And after a tense finish the previous year, we had a very historic moment in Eurovision history for one particular nation. And bizarrely, it was them who cast the final votes of the night. 
Interesting. Yeah, Ukraine gave their 12 points to the eventual runners-up. We mentioned them earlier, Serbia and Montenegro, which left Ukraine to win the contest for the very first time. But let's not be ungallant. Let's hear it for Zina, Warrior Princess, and the return of Leather. Looking back now on everything we know that's happened between now and then, a really historic moment for Ukraine. We'll talk about it again in just a little while. But first, shall we tie up some loose ends when it comes to the voting? Behind Ukraine and Serbia and Montenegro in second, uh, with Greece with Sakis Ruvas in third, hosts Turkey came fourth, and then, as we just mentioned, Kent schoolgirl Lisa Andreas came in fifth. But here is Sietse Bakker again, because he shared his memories with me of that momentous win for Ukraine. Uh, I knew at the time that Ukraine, that they, they sort of set out this strategy of, you know, participating in 2003, uh, winning in 2004, and then hosting it in 2005, which at the time uh, looked a bit, uh, you know, ambitious to, to do that all in three years. But to see them actually pulling that off uh, was quite extraordinary to, uh, uh, to see. So that for me were the most memorable moments in uh, in 2004. Yeah, such a huge story that, isn't it? You know, they came in with that three-point plan and clearly nailed it to absolute perfection. It really, really was. Yeah, you mentioned the plan there. It's absolutely incredible. The, the brilliant Paul Jordan, who is an expert on Eurovision, we've had him on the podcast, of course, you've seen him on TV, radio, all over. But he is an expert in not just Eurovision, but particularly Ukraine at the contest. And he explains so brilliantly in his university thesis, that's how he became Dr. Eurovision, how the Ukrainian marketing agency, CFC Consulting, were instrumental in persuading the Ukrainian broadcaster at the time to start showing and participating in the competition. And we mentioned the three-point plan there. Seats mentioned it. You know, they were going to compete, then they were going to win it, and then they were going to host it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, honestly... unfathomable now isn't it? I don't think any country could sort of get on board and, and execute that again they of course found Ruslana in the second year they participated with the aim of winning and then hosting the contest next year or the following year in Kiev in 2005 and we know they did do that the rest as they say is history yeah 12 months later the Eurovision world would come to Ukraine to Kiev just months after the orange revolution showed a country looking for closer ties with western Europe and in that time Ruslana gave up singing full time and became a politician in her country too honestly what can you say about that crazy what a crazy story um it would only be right then wouldn't it to uh, finish off by hearing that year's winner to Ruslana and wild dances Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. 
So this is the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast, but you knew that already. And that was another edition of Rewind Revisited. I hope you enjoyed that look back at Istanbul 2004. And hopefully one day, one day soon, who knows? We haven't had a participation list at the time that I'm recording this. So who knows? Maybe they'll be back next year in 2024. But what I was going to say is hopefully one day soon we have Turkey back at the Eurovision Song Contest because they brought us so much, including a fascinating edition of the contest when they hosted it back in 2004. Let me know what you liked, what you enjoyed from this week's episode of Rewind Revisited. Get in touch with us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or on the email as well. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. And I have to mention as well, all of the exclusive stories we brought you on EuroTripPodcast.com this week. Loads of stuff on there, including Taya and Selena from Austria 2023 and what they're going to be getting up to next. And also some more details revealed for ESCZ 2024 over in Czechia as well. Of course, that show taking place in less than two weeks time, I think, which is Again, mad. Early ticket sales this year and a very early ESCZ. But we love it, don't we? Because we're Eurovision fans. So good luck from me for the sales and make sure you join us again next Wednesday for another huge episode of the Eurotrip and we will be back with a new episode of Rewind. So Rewind Series 2, Episode 4 next week because, of course, we've had a lovely old time looking back at 2002 and 2003 and 1969. Well, we are going to... How much am I going to tell you? Mm, we're, go, we're going to the 90s. There we go. I've told you. We're going back to the 90s on next week's episode of Rewind and I've been tracked to some brilliant people so make sure we stay tuned for that and uh, join us again next wednesday we may have some stuff from the junior eurovision song contest before then as well of course it depends what happens out in nice just keep across your podcast feed and our socials and you'll find out everything that we're up to over the next few days until then i will see you next time don't forget to leave us a review rate us five star do all of that sort of stuff and subscribe and tell a friend about us and i'll see you next time all right bye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.